Welcome to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast, a community of love, acceptance, forgiveness, and belonging. For more information, be sure to check us out online at shorelinecc.com. Today we're talking about love. We're in our Advent series. It's a key word. And I think sometimes when we say love, it's like blah, 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 right? That's all, that's all you want to talk about. But I think sometimes we miss the meaning. But today as we talk about it, I want, to re, I want to regain what God had in mind. I think sometimes we just go, you know, yada, yada, blah, blah, whatever, because uh, we've, I think so many times we've been sold a counterfeit. <laughs> we've been sold something that so far misses the mark of what God intended, that godly, righteous love. So we're going to be focusing on this. And as we focus on this today, I think it's important to recognize that everyone is looking for love. Everyone is looking for love, whether they admit it or not. We're always looking for it. But that's a good thing because we're looking for it because everyone was made in the image of God. And if you've been around Shoreline Community Church, you'll recognize that so much of what I preach, so much of what I teach, so much of what I try to encourage people in goes back to how we were created. Because if we can get back to how we were created, if we can get back to how God designed us, how he made us, so many of the things we struggle with in life are going to get so much easier if we can just go back to that, to the theological term is imago Dei, meaning that we were made in the image of God. Now, we're not God, right? We're not God. And have you ever met somebody that thought they were God, right? So, um, major problem. That's another problem. But we were made in the image of God, meaning that the fingerprints of God are all over us. And when we look at scripture, we see so many scriptures that that, that say that one of the key attributes of God is love. Listen to this in 1 John. 1 John chapter 4, 7, 8, it says, Dear friends, that's all of you. Let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God is what? He's love. God is love. This is who God is. This is how we were made. And, and this, is the, this, this goes down to the very core, the very fabric of, of who we are. And there's no way that we can talk about love without talking about 1 Corinthians chapter 13, right? This is, the, this is the description of what love is. And we need to reclaim this. We need to be reminded of this because 1 Corinthians 13 tells us that love is, love is patient. Yeah, is, is it hard to talk today? Uh, love is coffee? No, it doesn't say that. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. How many so far you're like, man, can we just do those things? Can we just operate in that way? Can we just Love is patient. Oh my goodness. Love is kind. Love does not envy, does not boast, does not proud. I mean, this is, a, this is our prayer, right? God, help me to walk in this way. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices in truth, God's truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres because we sang it today, love never fails. Love never fails. And there's a lot more in there, but when we jump down to 13, we see this. It says these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. 
See, true love is powerful. When we look at how God created love, the love that he has for us, the love that he means to be alive in us and to be radiating out, it is powerful. I mean, who wouldn't want this? Who wouldn't want this type of love? But we're all looking for it. This is all what we crave so badly. And we want it so bad that often that the hope of true love, marriage, true love, any movie reference? All right. Yeah, yeah, right. We all want it. It is powerful so badly that oftentimes we will let go of so many things just for the hope, just for the opportunity, just for the potential promise of maybe somebody will love me, right? I mean, this is the script of so many movies. Maybe as you look back on your life, can you see some bad decisions that you made because of the prospect of love in your life, right? Or maybe you have friends that you've walked with and you're like, boy, I just, I feel like I can't reason with you. And sometimes when you get down to the core, it's because of a relationship that there's that hope of love in their life. I mean, this is something that throughout the course of humanity, throughout the course of history, when you look at the Bible, you see so many men and women of God that made bad decisions just because they were, they were looking for love in all the wrong places, right? They were trying to go through. They were trying to just, just get something that, that was not there, but the hope of it, because we crave it. We were made to have it, but we struggle so many times. And I think so many times we struggle with this, because, and I think so many times we see so little of this, as I referenced that Christmas is a season of love, but you know, if you've been going through the malls, if you've been going through you know, the parking lots or whatever, you'll often see the worst of humanity instead of the best during the season of love. It's like, shouldn't we just be drinking Nodlocks together and having Cherry Bliss bars and just, just, you know, just having a wonderful time together? But it's often in the middle of this we experience this stress, and and oftentimes we even see the opposite of everything that we just read about in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I think one of the big reasons why we often struggle with it is because we confuse love with the other L word. What's that other L word? Lust. Right? We confuse love with lust. And as it relates to these two, love and lust, they, they couldn't be any more different. I mean, when we talk about love, love is from God. He's the author of love. He's the creator of love. And true love, the way that God made it, designed it, it adds value to our life. When you see somebody who is really loving, that they're filled with the love of God, it adds value to their life, but it also adds value to those around them. I mean, so many things, like when I think about, you know, saying goodbye to Pastor Paul Zetterson, I think about how loving he was, how encouraging he was. I mean, I never heard him say a negative thing about me or any pastor of this church. This was a pastor of pastors, well-educated. Uh, pastor Steve invited me over this COVID season to lead a devotional for his group one time. Ninety-nine years old, and he was getting on Zoom better than a lot of 40 and 50 years old. And he was on that Zoom group and just wasn't he? He was just nailing it. And, like, and so I get on there and I share my little devotion. And then we open it up for a conversation. And then Pastor Paul humbly uh, opens his mouth. And I'm like, why did I say anything? <laughs> it was just, it was amazing. It was on point. And I'm like, Pastor Paul, can you speak a little more? Can you share a little more? Can you, and just off the cuff, pouring out. And at the core of it, there was this love of God that came through in all that he did. This is the love of God. But unfortunately, 
Love gets confused with lust. And as we talk about lust, we need to recognize that lust is from this flesh. And if you've been with us in our earlier series this fall, we talked about how the flesh, this body of us, this is the part that will one day die. This is the part that will one day go away. And day by day, it feels like death, death. You know, we're just kind of going down, 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 down because it's not going to be here forever. But this is the part of us that we talk about lust. This is where it comes from. But it's also important to know that lust in 1 John 2.16, it identifies that lust is from Satan. Lust is from Satan. And in the Bible, lust is always associated with those who do not know God. That they're not coming alive in this regenerative spirit. Time and time again. See, lust is the result of sin. And sin, which is missing the mark, which means getting off of God's design, getting away from the Imago Dei, the way that he designed it, this part of our early of our earthly nature is often connected with lust, just pulling us away. That's why it's so important that as, as it connects to, as it relates to lust, we need to recognize that lust is a counterfeit and it often parades itself as love. You know, because oftentimes when we see it, you know, we, we don't go, that's just lust. A lot of times we say, no, this is love. But we need to recognize that lust is just a, it's a counterfeit. It's a fake pretending to be the real thing. And, and if you've ever bought a counterfeit, I've, how many have bought counterfeits before? Something pretending to be something expensive, but you're like, I don't want to spend that much money for it, but I'm going to be here. I've bought counterfeit things before. None of them are still around. <laughs> they, they head in the garbage pretty quickly. Why? Because they have the look, they have the shine, they have the allure. But if it's a handbag I bought for my wife, sorry, honey, the handle falls off, the bottom opens up, and it's just a mess, and you throw it away. And it looked good under the tree, but it wasn't there. Sorry, babe right? It doesn't last long. It breaks when you, when you need it the most. But it gives you just enough to fool you into thinking it's real. And you still got to keep all your money. Ebenezer. See, this confusion of love is so rampant that often when we hear the word love and it's so connected that we often go to a sexual connotation. Unfortunately, in our culture, in our world, love, the word love has become synonymous with sex. And it's not sex the way that God designed it. The way that God designed it, God designed sex to only be within a committed, covenantal relationship between one man and one woman. That's marriage. That's, that's biblical love. And, and it's important to identify that in the world that we're in and that when we get away from that, we're getting further and further away. We're getting out of alignment because this, God created this. God created love. God created sex. But like everything that he created, it was created for a purpose, for a reason, and for a context. But unfortunately, sex has become about self-gratification, about getting my needs met at any cost. And this confusion of love with lust has created so much damage and hurt in the world. And, but when you talk about this, and when you, whether it's a lot of times like, like going through culture, and uh, believe it or not, I've had a lot of these conversations downtown. I've had conversations on the bus. People are not afraid to talk about sex. Is it, yep. Exhibit, Okay. They're not afraid to talk about it. And in the church, I think it's important for us to talk about it because God designed it, but we need to recognize what it is. Because a lot of times it becomes about self-gratification. But a, a, a comment that I'll often hear, whether it's, it's I'm talking to somebody about it or whether it's in a movie or what, wherever it is, that people will often say, you know, what does it matter what I do with my body? This is my body, right? What does it matter? I mean, I'm not really hurting anybody. I'm not hurting myself. I'm not hurting those around me. But I think it's important for us to know a key life principle. This is a key life principle that we need to keep in mind. Anytime we stray from God's plan, which is his design, someone is always hurt. Sin is destructive. 
The path of sin, it leads to death and destruction, not just for ourselves, but it hurts those around us as well. And this is true whether we see it or not. And this is, it's also important to identify this is why God hates sin, right? I've, I was talking with somebody once. I'm like, man, this seems like God's just, you know, he's like, is it just, to, just to take away all my fun, just to take away all my freedom. There's no freedom in God. I'm like, you don't understand. Everything that God tells us to do is it's because he loves us, because he cares for us, because he wants to protect us and he wants to protect those around us. But anytime that we miss the mark, it always leads to death, and that's why God hates it. God all, sin always destroys. Sin always leads to death in every area of our life, and it filters it to those around us. And unfortunately, this lie, the lie that says it doesn't matter what I do with my body, it's one of the biggest lies in our culture, and our culture has bought it hook, line, and sinker. And I want to give you just one, one example that's it's worldwide, but it's, it's epidemic here in Seattle. And if you've been with us in our prayer services, you've heard us praying about it, but one of the biggest tragedies of our time is sex trafficking. And here in our own city, Seattle, Seattle is now one of the top cities in America as it relates to sex trafficking. And we'll bring it down even to our context. Here in King County, do you know that every year in King County, between five and 700 minors, those under the age of 18, are forced into prostitution and trafficked every year. King County, minors. The King County report that comes out will tell you that oftentimes most of those minors that are trafficked, they're trafficked by a family member, they're trafficked by someone that they trusted, someone that they loved, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, someone trusted in their life was the tool of trafficking them. And when you read that same article, though, there's so much more we can say about this. In the same article, the journalist asked, well, what is the solution to this? Because we all agree this is wrong. So what is the solution? And in this article, they said that experts agree that the solution to stopping trafficking is stopping the demand. In other words, where there is no demand, there is no supply. And when I read that, and then I, when I read this next line, in the next line in this article, the next line in this article said, we have to change the buyer. And when I read that, I went, praise God. Because here's why. My first three years back, when I came back in 2014, I spent a lot of time, I worked at a coffee house downtown. I spent a lot of time riding the buses back and forth. I spent a lot of time partnering with ministries in the area, connecting with pastors in the area, and really learning my city. And the closer you get to the core of the city, the more that you come face to face with this. And when I would ask the question, this was just seven years ago. When I would ask that question six, seven years ago, how do we bring about change? How do we speak this in? How do we get people off the streets? How do we do that? Do you know what the main answer was from both Christians and non-Christians that I talked to? They were like, who are we to tell them what to do? Who are we to speak into their life? This is a life choice. This is something that they have. And it grieved my heart because, because as a pastor, as a Christian, as somebody who has walked with so many people in this way, we know that the only hope for our world is true life change that only comes through Jesus Christ. And then when I looked at this King 5 report online, I looked at it and I saw we have to change the buyer. I went, well, praise God, because now we're getting to the truth of something. Now we're getting to the core of something. Because this is our only answer. The article went on to, to say, well, then how do you change the person? And they, 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 they gave two key things. Two key things that they talked about was, was, one, we need to have good education. We need to educate the buyer. 
And then secondly, we need to have criminal justice intervention, meaning that if they're not willing to change, then we need to put them in the jails. And hear me, I'm all for education. The Bible is all for education. God is all for education. We need to educate ourselves. We need to study to show ourselves to prove. We need that. But education, as we talked about, I think we talked about it two weeks ago, that informing somebody and having somebody is only 10% of the problem. It used to be said that knowing is half, half the problem. But half the solution, thank you. Someone's listening, thank you. We used to say that knowing is half the solution, but studies from researchers, both in criminal law as well as psychologists, they'll say no, knowing is only 10%. Unless you act on what you know, unless you take those steps, unless there's feet to your faith, it's all dead, it dies. And not only that, one of my favorite professors one time said that knowledge that is not applied diminishes in value, meaning that if we just read it, if we just see it, but we don't apply it, it actually diminishes in value. Because sometimes we'll, we'll read something, we'll see something, go, man, that's really cool, that's, I love that. But if we don't apply it, it loses its value, it loses its luster, it loses the shine. So as it relates to this, we need to recognize that these are good, but these fall short. See, we're in an information age. We're more informed than ever before. But, you know, I loved what uh, Denzel Washington said, the actor Denzel Washington. They asked him about things and about, you know, about the, about the media and the news and things. And here's what he said. he said. He said, here's the problem. He said, if I don't read the news, I'm uninformed. But if I read the news, then I'm misinformed. So which is better? That's not a political statement, Okay. And I'm seeing this come out more and more and more from people, but it's often the case, isn't it? If I just ignore it, if I stick my head in the sand, I'm uninformed, <laughs> right? No, that's, that's not good. But if I read everything, then I can often become misinformed. This is why we need the love of God in our life. This is why we know that the only possessor of all truth is God. The only possessor of the way forward of every perspective is God. Because the flesh, we have a flesh problem. And if this flesh is not transformed, if our flesh is not demoted from the position of leadership in our lives, then nothing will change. Because the flesh, the flesh is one of the fiercest competitors out there. Because the flesh knows it's short-lived. The flesh knows it's going to die someday. So for right now, right here and now, I'm going to work hard and do everything that I can. And the flesh is going to tell you the best lies out there. As a matter of fact, the flesh is going to save its best lies for you. The flesh is going to, the very best lies it comes up with, this feels good, this is okay, eat this, do this, it's okay, don't worry about it, it's going to be okay, you know, eat this bag of chips, you know, bag of chips is my big thing, pray for me, okay, but you know, eat this bag of chips, you can go on a diet tomorrow, or just do this, it'll be okay, or they'll forgive, or no one sees, no one knows. We're way past that, we, we, we know that right now, Alexa is listening to everything I say. <laughs> Scary, okay, we know that. Everything is seen. Everything is there. And the flesh is out. And the, the challenge with the flesh is that once it has control, it will grow exponentially to where you will no longer be able to control it. You give the flesh a little bit, it will grow like crazy. It will grow like crazy. So how do we overcome this? Where's the hope? Where's the love? Where's the joy? Where's the peace? And at the risk of sounding trite, at the risk of sounding cliche, I want to underline the power of this. Our hope is the love of God. 
And, I, and again, I, I just want to restate what I said earlier, that so many times we just, we're so confused by love, we've associated love as being trite, we've associated love as just being meaningless, that we no longer even resonate with this, with the love of God. And I even, I even wrestled over this statement. Because sometimes, I've heard people say, don't tell me Jesus loves me. Don't tell me the answer is Jesus. Don't tell me all those things. Because we've confused it, or because we haven't gotten the answer right now, or because things haven't worked out the way that we want, but that's the flesh rising up, trying to be in control again, trying to confuse us. But when we experience the love of God, it will knock us to our knees. It will bring us back. When Paul experienced the love of God, everything changed for him. He went from persecuting Christians, thinking he was following God, to where now he was brought to his knees and said, what must I do? When I experience the love of, of God in my life, it changed. When I see people really experience the love of God in their life, there is no way you cannot change because it just radically transforms your life. But when we talk about the love of God, we're talking about this word which means sacrificial. And that's the hard part, isn't it? Because when we think about love, we often don't think about sacrificing, right? Sometimes we think, well, that... Maybe I'm sacrificing, I can't just go to my favorite restaurant all the time, or maybe I'm sacrificing some of my time. But when the Bible talks about sacrifice, it uses three letters to describe it. And it's that word all. Everything. Fully in. Fully committed. That's why when the, the Bible talks about love, it describes it as being willing to die to yourself. Not just figuratively, not just singing a song. Have you heard, heard those songs? A lot, a lot of songs in the 80s were, you know, I'll swim across the ocean, I'll climb a mountain, and, you know, I'll lay down my life for you. I'm like, you can't even do that. <laughs> we're promising things that we can't even do because we know that, that that will never come into question in our life. But when God talks about love, he literally laid it on the line. And it reveals it in John 3, 16, when it says, for God so loved the world, a broken world, a world that was rejecting him, a world confused by him, that he gave his only son to die for us. To die for us. See, we sing about this. But the words often fall so short of living this because, again, it's not what we say, it's what we do. It's faithful that works is dead. Love is known by the evidence. And as it relates to true love, one of the ways you can know if it's true love is because it costs you something. Right? True love will always cost you something. True love, if there's... If there's no level of pain in your life, and I think sometimes we think, well, I'm in love while well, I'm experiencing pain. I'm like, well, you're, you're probably experiencing love. <laughs> love is painful, isn't it, Stephanie? <laughs> it is. Love is painful because here's the thing. Love will always transform you. Love will always come in. And if there's a rough spot in your life, love will reveal it. Do you know why? Because love loves you. And it loves you enough not to allow you to keep going in destructive habits, destructive patterns. So true love will always change you and transform you. And if you're going to be changed and transformed, there's going to be some stuff that's going to be rubbed away. Have you been experiencing that rubbing transformative process during the COVID years, right? It will always, always cost you something. Always cost you something. And if it doesn't cost you something, then you don't have it. You don't have it. One of my favorite things to do is premarital counseling. I love seeing two people come together. They love each other. It's, it's, and it's, it's an awesome experience. 
And here's, here's what happens every time and every time. And we've, we've counseled some. I've done premarital counseling for several of the Tavani boys since they've got married. And it always happens. Everyone comes in, man, Pastor, we love each other. You know, boy, it's, this is just so perfect. We couldn't be better matched for each other. It's all there. I'm going, man, this is awesome. And then we start working through. We start asking questions. And I love this moment. I love when it comes up for a moment. And we, we do workbooks with them and they answer it and then they bring their answers together. And one person will say one thing and the other person will say something else and they're shocked. And I'm, and I'm, I'm, I'm loving it. <laughs> do you know why I'm loving it? Because love's showing up. And love will always refine it and come in. Because here's the thing. Two humans coming together in this world, there's always going to be some refining. There's always going to be some shaping. And, and God shows up in the middle of that reality. When you get real, when you get honest, when you don't run away from it, because the flesh wants to say, run away, hi, get away. I don't want to, I don't want to change. I don't want to be a part of it. I want whatever that is. I want to keep on doing it. I know it's going to kill me, but I can, I can get over it at some point in my life. When we get honest, when we get real, when we experience the love, there's going to be that refining. It's going to happen here. The word of the Lord says that the world will know we are Christians by our love. And when love is active here, there's going to be some refining. Have you ever experienced this, this friction? I'm not, I'm not doing this, okay? I'm, I'm doing the friction thing. So some of you are like, what, what's he doing with his hands? Um, but it's this friction thing. Have you ever experienced friction within the body of Christ, within a church? Have you? Well, then if you have, that means you're engaging. And I would encourage you to stay in it. Because your best chance of transformation is within the body of Christ, within a loving community, with leaders that are saying, you know what, we're going to pray. If we've wronged you, we're going to say we're sorry, we're going to walk that out. But we love you enough that even though you've tripped and failed whatever you've done, you're welcome here. you got hurts, habits, and hangouts, we have a ministry for you. You have something you've got to walk through, we're going to talk about it through you. Are we going to do it perfectly? No, because love's still being applied to my life. I'm still being refined. I still have struggles. I still, you know, there's times that I get fairly upset in my life. <laughs> I said that to somebody once. They went, you're a pastor. I'm like, you don't know very many pastors, do you? <laughs> because we're confronting love all the time. And that's the big surprise because the flesh says, please me, please me, feed me. And love says, I'm going to transform you back to the image of God because the most loving thing that God can do is transform your life. And it hurts. I think one of the biggest surprises that, um, that we often have when we approach Christianity is we think that now I know Jesus is like a genie in the bottle and you click your fingers and it happens. And I'll tell you this, as it relates to healing, there's times when I was a kid, I was blind and my mom and dad, they brought me forward and they put oil on my head and they prayed for me. And my, and my eyesight went to 2020. Since then, I've abused my eyesight. And so, you know, there's consequences from that. And so I wear glasses again. But my, it, there are pictures where my eyes are literally starting. You, you can see it in my school pictures. It's just kind of closing down. And the Lord touched me and he healed me. There's other things that I prayed for and I'm still praying for. And I'm walking through. Right? I mean, how awesome when I broke my elbow this past summer to just have it just healed, done, and I could keep going. How often if the Lord could heal my dog so my dog would listen to me and do everything I told it to do? But there's a process, isn't there? 
there's a walking out of faith. And love is not coercive. Love does not demand. Love does not force. Love does not coerce. What is love? We read it earlier, didn't we? What's the first thing that, that it says that love is? Love is patient. How many are like, Lord, I, I, I receive more patience. Give it to me. But then you recognize the Lord's going to bring you on a path where he's, he's going to test your patience. Everything you grow in in your life is going to be tested. Everything you grow in, everything. If you say, Lord, I want patience, he's going to start walking you out and bring you in some places where your patience is going to be tested. <laughs> that stinks, doesn't it? Love is kind, love is envy. It does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking, not easily angered, keeps no record of wrongs. Amen. How hard is that not to do? Are you keeping records of, records of wrongs? <laughs> it's hard, isn't it? Someone's wronged you. I'd like to pause right now and just invite you just to close your eyes and say, Lord, speak to my heart. Is there a place where I'm keeping records of wrongs that I need your love to invade and just hand it over? You know, we were with Pastor Kevin Geard this past weekend over in Canvas in Cowsbell, Montana, and he spoke on this. And he said, you know, love, love doesn't mean reconciliation. Right? What love means is that I'm willing to forgive. Because reconciliation takes two people. It takes two to tangle. It takes two to walk in. And there are people that may have hurt you that this side of heaven, you're not going to be reconciled, and that hurts. But I can still forgive them. Because as long as I have an unforgiven, as long as I have unforgiveness in me, do you know who's hurting in that? I am. If you're in an abusive situation, you need to get out. Forgiving somebody doesn't mean that you stay and that you allow yourself to be abused in that way. If you're being physically hurt, whatever it is, you need to get out. If you need help getting out, you need to talk to somebody here and we'll help get you out. That's not what forgiveness means. Forgiveness means it's as far as it depends on me because I want to walk in healing. Maybe you need to do that right now. Just close your eyes and say, Lord, help me. Lord, we all have, we've all been hurt, so we all have people we have to forgive, but we know that forgiven people offer forgiveness. We know you've forgiven us. So Lord, help us to forgive those who've hurt us. Help us to forgive those that we've tried to reconcile with and we've, it never happened. So Lord, as we have been forgiven, so we forgive them because you forgave us. And we pray a blessing upon their life. In your name, Lord. Amen. Let me encourage you to take that this, this week. Because love is powerful. Love will change you. Love will transform you. But when it's poured into our life, it's going to kill the flesh. Let your flesh die. <laughs> Don't fight for it. Your flesh is not out for you. You know? I mean, I wish that that meant all your fat flesh will die. I'm working on that. Lost three pounds this past week. The temptation's real, I tell you, my friend. Here's the prayer. Let it die. Let God be in charge in your life. Listen to this prayer that Paul prayed. Paul prayed this. 
Paul prayed, I pray from his glorious unlimited resources that he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Man, I've been praying that all day today. Would you say that with me? I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Look at that. As you trust in him, Christ will make his home in your hearts, but you need to trust him. What are the things you need to trust the Lord in today? What are the things you're like, Lord, I keep praying, I keep praying, I keep praying. I'm struggling with this. God, help us to trust you, Lord. Emmanuel, God with us. The God of love. We need you to make your home in our hearts, but our hearts are broken. Our hearts are hurting. Our hearts are tired. Our hearts are confused at times. Lord, we believe, but help us in our unbelief to trust you. Lord, to receive it just when, when we feel those friction points. Lord, help us to recognize it not as just senseless pain, but as your work of refining us. I echo this prayer of Paul. May you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide how long, how high, how deep his love is. Shoreline Community Church, my friends, may you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and the power that comes from God. Do you want to receive that today? Do you want to receive that today? Let's all stand together. Just lift your hands to the Lord. Say, Lord, I'm in the receiving position. I want to receive this from you today. All the power, all the life, everything that comes from you. But Lord, I also know that to receive that, I need to do what you've called me to do, what the Apostle Paul has reminded us, that we need to be a living sacrifice. And sacrifice means I give everything to you. I give my hurts to you. I give... I give my untrust to you. I give the pain to you. I give whatever it may be. And even now, just with, again, with your eyes closed, just ask the Lord, Lord, reveal to me the things that I need to sacrifice. What do I need to, what am I holding on to? Oftentimes we experience the most tension and pain in our lives in the areas that we hold on the heart the most dearly. When you're holding on so hard that you're hanging, your, your hands are going to hurt and you're like, why is there pain? And sometimes we're, we're just holding on to that stuff too long. We need to let go. We need to be countercultural in this and just lay everything down. Because here, here, here's what happens. When we give him our brokenness, we, sometimes we think, you know, Lord, I'm sacrificing so much, I'm giving you everything. But God's saying, don't you get it? When you give everything, you give me your brokenness, I make you new again. We give him our fear. You know what the Lord does? The Lord gives us strength. The Lord gives us confidence in that. I give the Lord my uncertainty and the Lord gives me wisdom as I walk trusting him. I give him doubt, he gives me confidence. When I'm hungry, he fills me. When I'm tired, he strengthens me. I mean, who's getting the better deal? Lord, help us to see that. May we experience the love of God today. So again, as the worship team leads us today, there's two things. Ask yourself, am I, am I really experiencing the love of God, that transformative love of God, even though when it rubs in its friction? 
Lord, help us to recognize that work. And again, Lord, reveal to me, reveal to us, what are the things that we need to surrender, that we need to lay down so that we can pick up? The things that we need to cast off so we can take on. Is it forgiveness? Is there unforgiveness in our heart? You've, you've forgiven me of everything. There's, there's nothing anybody can do to me that's not worthy of forgiving when I know that you've forgiven me of so much. But it's hard. Reveal to us the things that we need to let go of, I pray. Amen. Allow the Holy Spirit to do that work in you. Amen. One more thing I want to share with you. Just, and I alluded to it earlier, but... Um, you know, I've, I've, I've told you, I've got, I've got some weight to lose. I like to keep the clothes I have, not have to buy new clothes, you know, so. <laughs> got to get ready for ski season. One of the key things in food, because people who have gained weight, and if you've never struggled with this, God bless you, okay? But people who have struggled with weight, they'll often say that the, the answer, and really, this is true, whatever the struggle is in so many ways, the answer is not just sit home going, you know, don't eat that donut, don't eat that donut, don't eat that chips. Don't. It's, it's, it's not trying to build that. It's, they'll tell you it's about thinking differently. You know, Romans talks about that renewing of the mind, thinking differently. And here's one of the things that when I do it, it helps me. That when I get hungry, instead of thinking, man, I need that donut, if I think, you know what? No, right now fat's burning. I'm hungry because fat's burning. The stuff I want to get rid of is I'm getting rid of. When I do that, it changes everything. When I get the sleep and the rest I need at night, it changes everything. When I have conversations with friends and we pray for each other, it changes everything. When I read the Bible, it changes everything. And you're like, Dwayne, is that your weight loss program? I'm going, yes, it is. Because when those things come in, those disciplines that are there, oftentimes we think, you know, Reading the Bible and praying all that, is it really doing anything? Here's what happens. Those are the foundations of your life that when things happen, they come alive. Because we know that trials and tribulations come through. It's not so much that it shapes us as it reveals the character and the foundation that is there. And when we think differently, when we pursue in that, it comes alive in us. So I just want to underline this, that as you're walking through and you experience those frictions, don't back away from that. Now take time right? Just like when you look at a woodworker, they're not out there with an axe just swinging away, taking off chunks. What are they doing? I remember watching all this woodwork around here that took so long to do. I remember watching Ted Thaggison, right? Your, your, your ears are going wonderful man. A lot of his tools for this were these little fine grain sandpaper, little small thing, a little bit here, a little bit there, and taking this time. That was over 20 years ago, and it looks the same. The work that God is doing in you is meant to last for eternity. Allow him to do that work. Allow the body of Christ to come together. Don't push back, but take your time. Allow the pacing of God. Some things move quick. Some things move slow. Make sense? So Lord, help us to receive that from you today. And we love you. In Jesus' name. Amen. This is our benediction. Let's say this together. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace and love.